Hey friends, and welcome to the Happy Hour with Jamie Ivey podcast. I'm your host, Jamie, and I'm so glad you're here. Each week on this show, I invite a girlfriend to join me and we chat about the big things in life, the little things in life, and everything in between. Friends, we have made it to the end of April. Congrats to all of you. I think that this April will go down as the strangest April of my life. And I am guessing the same might be true for you as well. I hope that you're all doing well today and your quarantine life is treating you well. We know that this time has been a lot to navigate. And in the midst of so many unknowns, my prayer for my own personal heart and for yours is that we would continue to be people who surrender to God and trust Him in the moments where so much of our control has been stripped away. On today's show, my friend Gloria Umani and I talk about how God has proven over and over again to be trustworthy in our lives when control was lacking. I am so thrilled that Gloria and I finally made this conversation happen. We have been trying for a lot of months to get together. Gloria is a poet, a phenomenal preacher, and a powerhouse woman of God, and she will have you taking lots of notes in this episode. So grab your pen and paper or find that note on your phone or come back and listen again. This show is going to be so much of an encouragement to you. You guys, this is the great thing about God is that we did not plan to for it to be this way. And it just blows my mind that God in his sovereignty would see fit that we'd have Gloria on the show today. And then we would be talking about the third lie that we're discussing in the Bible study, Your Story Matters. That third lie is that my story is not big enough or it's too much. In just a little bit, you're going to hear Gloria share about how she lived thinking that her story and that her life and that her gifts that they were not enough for what God was calling her to next. And I know that that lie is one a lot of us struggle with. On the other hand, some people feel that you're too much, that your story's too much. And while some of you are struggling that your story is not enough, I think we can all relate to this in some way. In my newest Bible study that we just released recently, Your Story Matters, we dive into the main idea behind this particular lie. It might be that we're focusing on the wrong story. Your story is ultimately about Jesus and what he's been up to in your life since he entered it. So if your story feels like it's too much, you may be making God in your own image and not seeing him as who he says that he is. If you're focused on the size of the story at all, you're not focused on the size of our God. You're probably focused on the potential reaction that your story will get instead. But we do not use our stories for sensationalism or recognition or influence. Our stories are meant to make much of God. Sometimes the seemingly insignificant stories, the ones that we feel are not enough or too small, Jesus thinks those are so important and so valuable to be used for the kingdom. I share about this lie number three, which is my story is not big enough or that my story is too much. And the steps to fight this lie in the Your Story Matters Bible study that is available right now for you to purchase. You can jump in right now with us on week three and you can join our live Facebook group and our live Zoom calls or you can get your materials now and access it whenever it is convenient for you. Here's what I do know to be true. The world needs your story. The world needs to see what God has done in your life so that we may make much of God together through the lives that we're living. Visit jamieivy.com and click on the join us now for your story matters button to get your Bible study started today. All right, here is my conversation with my friend, Gloria. Gloria, welcome. Finally, I can't believe this day has come. Welcome to the happy hour. 
What's up? I'm excited to finally be here. We got no drinks, but it's a happy hour, all right? <laughs> we got no drinks. I got coffee from this morning that's way old, um, you know. So the reason I say welcome, welcome is because we have tried to record with each other forever. numerous times, forever. And over it a year. took over a year, and it took a quarantine to get us to record. <laughs> It took the lockdown for me to finally sit down. <laughs> it took that is it took the lockdown to make you sit down. That is so so true. I am so excited to have you on the happy hour. So I asked you before we start recording how to say your last name because I've been stressed about it because I don't even have your last name on my phone. I don't ever say your last name. It's like if I don't say it, then I don't have to mess it up. And right. so when I said it to you, you said I did a good job with it. But I remember specifically asking you. I remember when I was with you probably at the very first time I was with you, which would have been at Therefore Gathering, right? Yeah. I asked you how to say your last name. And am I making this up that you remember? You remember? I remember. Okay. So you finish your story. And then I remember specifically you telling me that you just found out how to say your last name. (laughs) Okay. So it's true. I forgot already. So all my life I've been saying you, Mana. But last February, right before meeting you, I met my biological father for the first time. And I found out I've been saying it wrong the whole time. It's Umana, not Umana. So that's how you say my last name. Umana. (laughs) Umana. But I still say Umana because, you know, I can't erase 24 years of doing something (laughs) like that. I just remember thinking, I think she has a lot of grace towards me with her last name if she just learned the correct way to say it. (laughs) Exactly. My last name is not too difficult. My first name is the difficult one. It's not actually Gloria. Tell me what it Uh, is. It's Fianfolua, which is my family's native tongue, which is Yorba, Nigerian language, and it means all glory to God. So my name is Gloria, Gloria Umana. (laughs) I love that. So your middle name is Gloria? My middle name is Gloria, yeah. Okay. And you were born here in America? Mm-hmm. Born here, conceived in Nigeria. Well, there you go. I know. Not dual citizenship, but I do tell people that I do have that sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay. So introduce yourself. Tell us yes, what you do. Absolutely. And then I have um, amazing conversations that we're going to have today. I just know it because I love you so much. Okay, go for it. <laughs> Can't wait. Well, hey, everyone. I am Gloria Umana. Live in Hotlanta or Ratchet Center of the United States, which is ATL. Absolutely love this place. So what I get to do is I would like to describe it as trifle. So I travel and preach often, which is really fun. I do spoken word as openers um, and as part of worship sets with churches. And then I lead something called the Ex Nihilo Collective. Next Nihilo Collective is a collective of spoken word artists and creatives on mission to illuminate Jesus through words, poetry, and storytelling. We've got people on our team that live all across the world right now. So we've got some people in Germany. We've got some people in Kenya. We've got some people in Zimbabwe. We've got some people in California, in Florida, in Pennsylvania, and just everywhere, essentially. And so our team has grown exponentially, honestly, just in quarantine from seven people to now 22 people. So it's kind of crazy because I'm leading a group of people a size almost the same number as my age. And so it's kind of crazy how God has really just expedited our faith, really. Um, So that's pretty much all that I do. It's a lot of fun. Get to lead in creative direction and lead as executive director of our team as well. And helping churches tell the story of Jesus in a much more beautiful and appealing way. So it's awesome. I love it. And it's fun. Okay. I love it so much. You and I first met probably in person for the first time was last for, last year at Therefore. Am I right? Yeah. 
which is a conference for teen girls in the Dallas Fort Worth area that I'm just a really big fan of. I'm a fan of everything they're doing there. I think yes. Tiffany Daniels has created a really great conference for teen girls, which they're just seems to be a void of. And so she's done that. And so I got to meet you there and hear you speak yes. for the first time and be with you again this year. And I'm just I'm so impressed. And, and I, I want this to come off as a encouragement and compliment. Okay. So I don't want to be like the old person talking to the young person. Okay. So just <laughs> give me a moment. Corey, You're not okay? that old now. <laughs> well, I'm 20 years your senior. <laughs> you don't have to tell people that though. But here's what I want to say is there's not much more that excites me than to look behind me and see really strong women um, doing what God's gifted them in and called them to do. Um, and I say that for two reasons. Number one, it took me a long time to get there. And so when I see someone who is trusting God and running after him in their earlier adult years, just on fire. And then the second reason it makes me so excited is because there have been women, you know, 10, 20, 30 years ahead of me that have kind of paved the way a little bit and blown steam into my sails. And I think what a joy and what an honor to be on the planet at the same time to be able to do that for you and other girls in their 20s and 30s. And so just so excited when I see women passionately running after him in their early adulthood life. It, it's I'm so excited. Seriously, so excited. <laughs> Thank you. That means a lot. I think like for me, I was just thinking about right before this call, I was like, man, like I feel like I'm sitting in the shade of the people before me who have planted the trees. And so I'm thankful for the generation right before me that didn't give up on the ones behind them, but decided to like, hey, we're going to pull you along because the baton's going to be passed to you. We want you to be ready. We don't want our legacy to die. And so it's been so cool just like having mentors and older people in my life that have just really done that for me. I think it's so cool. I did an interview with Beth Moore earlier in the year, and we talked about this a little bit, about this kind of baton passing and this kind of bringing up the generation behind us. And I think it's an honor to be able to look at the people behind you and you'll do the same thing. I mean, you'll do the same thing yeah. in 10, five years and be able to say, hey, we're here with you. And we know that you might do things different than us, but we're here to learn. That's us old people That's saying awesome. that. We're here <laughs> to learn and we're here to do it with you yeah. and love it so much. Okay. So let's jump right in. Are you ready? You already told us that Let's you have it. quote unquote dual citizenship because you were conceived in Nigeria. Yes. <laughs> you grew up in obviously a Nigerian home, which your mm -hmm. words are a kind of strict Nigerian home. Can you give us a little insight into what you mean by that? Yes. So I don't think there's a such thing as a non-strict Nigerian <laughs> home. Uh, they're all very strict. So kind of what that looks like is for me, so growing up, my parents they had a very passionate heart for God. So my dad, my stepdad was actually a Muslim for a while. Um, and my mom was a believer. And so when my dad found Jesus, my mom found Jesus, pretty much the direction of how we lived was very different because they were newfound believers and so passionate about God. Nigerians as a whole are passionate in general people. What our lives looked like was different than what my friends' lives looked like. So we had 5 a.m. prayer every single morning for a majority of my life. Like, wow. I can't recall a time that we did not wake up at 5 a.m. to pray and read the Bible for an hour. And I remember thinking, man, this is intense and extreme for no reason. And then I remember when I got to college, how much I knew about God versus how much my peers knew about God. And it was like in those moments, I was like, wow, like, 
there's no random moment in the kingdom of God. Like all of that felt random at the time, but like kind of seeing how God used all of that to really prepare me for where I am now and where I am today. And so it was intense in that case. And then small things like- Can I ask a question about that real quick before you go into the small things? You mentioned that your stepdad was Muslim. Yes. Okay. And then your mom and him both found Jesus, right? And converted to Christianity. Was Mm -hmm. that 5 a.m. prayer kind of an overflow of a, maybe what would be more strict Muslim prayer time? Or did that happen after they converted to Christianity? So I would say even when my dad was a Muslim, he wasn't like a devout Muslim. It was more so like an inherited Muslim. So his father was, but didn't really practice much other than the fact that he had like 13 wives. So that was the extent of that faith. Okay. You uh, left that out at the beginning. Oh my gosh. (laughs) Yeah, I know. It's crazy. So my dad, my stepdad's dad had 13 wives. Okay. Not your, we're going to explain this later because it can be a little confusing right now with the way that you're interchanging dad and stepdad is that we're going to, we're going to talk about this story, but just, Give us a one sentence explanation of that before we dive into the story, before we get back to the strict Nigerian household. Just explain why you're going between dad and stepdad often. Yeah. So I grew up with my stepdad as the picture of who my father was. Didn't know that wasn't my biological father until just a year ago. Okay. Yes, yes. And we're going to hear all about that. Okay. So tell me some other things about your strict Nigerian household. Yeah. So some of the small things, for example, is they have a high level of respect So I can't just like say, hi, mom. I have to say, good morning, mom. I can't just say, what's up? That's not acceptable in this type of household. It's very good morning. How are you? What can I do to serve you? Um, And so that actually has helped me a lot, even like now too, with like my natural tendency isn't to serve, but like the way that my parents have raised me has taught me that like I'm here to serve and not just to be served. And so that's been really cool. And it's like a lot of these little things that I didn't realize were important at the time that have kind of shaped who I am now. So it's like stuff like that, which is, it's different for sure. Like when I go to my friends' homes and they talk to their parents differently, I'm like, Ooh, Oh, did you just say, leave me alone? I'm just, did you just tell your mom to stop talking to you? And I'm like, oh, I'm sweating for you. <laughs> right, right, right. Yeah, uh, very high many, level of respect. How many siblings did you grow up with? So I have three older sisters and two younger sisters. Okay, okay. So and I'm so smack dead in the middle. In the middle, in the middle. Do you remember the first time you went to someone else's house and you're like, oh, wait, no one, not everyone does life like we do it? Oh my goodness, yes. One of my best friends, I remember going to her house. I was so excited because it's the first sleepover that my parents would let me go to. We don't, oh yeah, Nigerians, we don't do sleepovers. If there's a sleepover, you're coming to our house because uh, we don't know what's in your house. Uh (laughs) And so I remember going over and I was just sitting at a table, a dining table with my friend and her mom. And we were all just kind of talking and her mom said, Hey, after this, I want you guys to go to bed a little bit earlier uh, because we got to get up early to go to Six Flags. And my friend turned to her mom and said, no, I don't want to. And I started hyperventilating. I was like, I'm sorry. I didn't know conversations with parents is like negotiation. I thought it was okay. Yes, ma'am. That's what's going to happen. And that was like the moment I was like, whoa. So I have an option. So I remember going home thinking to myself, well, we got options now. So my mom told me to do something. I remember responding, no, I don't want to. And the look on my mother's face, I was like, oh, okay, 
never mind. I forgot. Just what kidding. I was doing. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Just kidding. Never mind. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That was the first moment where I was like, never trying that again. <laughs> that is hilarious. That is so it's funny. Crazy. You know, I think it's interesting as I hear you talk about this, you know, strict Nigerian family that you grew up in. I don't hear any resentment towards it. Honestly, no. I think in the moments I resented it for sure and hated it for sure because it wasn't it wasn't the popular way of being raised. Nobody else was doing what I was doing. Nobody else was being raised the way that I was being raised other than my other Nigerian friends. So I hated it in the moment because it made me, it made me feel set apart, I guess yeah. is the good word. And now realizing that set apart is what sets me apart today. Yeah. And so I think like, I'm super thankful for it. Hated it in the moment, but absolutely thankful for it today. You know, that gives me hope because I just had a conversation with one of my kids recently and this has been said before. It'll be said again. Gloria, if God blesses you with children, they will say this to you. Listen, this is what we kids do. This is what we say. And so I just had a conversation with one of my kids recently and his whole point was, I feel like you guys are too strict. All my other friends get to do this. All my other friends, he filled in all the blanks. And I said, I think you're right. Like, yeah you're right. We are stricter than their parents and you're right. We're not going to do that. And he said, it just doesn't seem fair. And I was like, yep. Yeah. It never seems fair. <laughs> but it's encouraging for me to hear you say that. And it doesn't necessarily mean that my kids are going to turn out and be like, mom, I'm so thankful that you didn't let me do that. <laughs> but it does right. remind me. And even I love the way you said it is that you felt set apart. And I've always thought, and my son has said, I just feel different. It feels different that they get to do this and I don't get to do this. And I love mm-hmm. the way that you said you felt set apart. And and to think about it and like as followers of Jesus, what are we supposed to feel like and be like and look like? Yeah. We're supposed to be set apart and look different. And so your parents were onto something and, you know, hopefully that I can help my kids be that way as well. Yes, you were going to crush it. <laughs> well, let me tell you, this, is, this quarantine crushing it is hard. Okay, <laughs> we're, we're recording in the middle of quarantine. How are you doing? I think I'm doing good now. Like okay. in the beginning, um, I thought maybe it was a joke. You know, I wasn't well, really we sure. Just, I, I remember thinking a few days. I could yes. do anything for a few days. Absolutely. I remember specifically, I went to New York because um, our team put on an event and it was awesome. And I got to hang out with a friend that I hadn't seen in a while. And shortly after I had a trip um, overseas, I come back home. And the day I get back home is kind of before all the craziness began. My friend calls me, the one I saw in New York, and he says, hey, so I just found out I have corona and I probably had it when you were with me in New York. And I was like, oh man, this is the last thing I want to hear. So I call the CDC and they say, yes, you need to go on a mandatory seven day isolation, no physical contact with anybody. You more than likely have it. And they said, if you survive the seven days without pneumonia or a fever, you're probably okay. So I say, okay, I survived the seven days. Was that scary to you? Um, well, I'm very introverted. So I was like, okay, just life is normal. <laughs> like, okay. But day five, I was like, oh, okay, this is a lie. I got to get out of this room. I couldn't leave my room. And so at the end of the seven days, I was like, yes, I can finally breathe. And that's when they kind of announced, all right, everybody needs to be quarantined, stay in your home. And I was like, wait, I thought that this was over. And now you mean to tell me everyone needs to quarantine with no end date? And so that was, I think it got difficult when I realized, oh, like this is about to change everything. When all my events started being moved to 2021, not just later in the year. And I was like, oh, so this is what we're doing. And so it was tricky. It was tricky at first because I was like, wow, I don't, I don't know what I'm going to do. And I think what quarantine did for me in the beginning stages was it really showed my areas of unbelief. Like I can say that I trust God, 
but can I walk out that I trust God? And that's where, that's where it really challenged me. Um, so now I don't even know what day we're, I don't even know what day of the week it is, but now I feel like I'm doing so much better with finding a rhythm and then just letting faith be my rhythm as well has really helped as well. Just kind of releasing that pressure and knowing like the result is completely up to God and it's always going to be good. One of my favorite worship songs, there's a line that says, if the story isn't good, then the story's not done yet. And I really think that's what we're in the middle of right now. It's so good. And I, you know, I think my hope and prayer for myself and for everyone, I can be someone who kind of just like gets through things and then gets on the other side and is like, okay, we made it. Like, let's not ever do that again. And I can tend to not record, like you said, about the the things that like God is doing for us or the things that he's showing you, like he's been showing you. And I think I've been thinking a lot over the past couple of days is I don't want to get through this and get on the other side and just be like, that was a hard two months, six months, yeah. a year, whatever it might be. But I really want to get to the other side and say, here are some of the things that you showed me, God. Like here yes. is something that you did in me. And you know, you talked about one of the things he's showing me, you. And for me, it's been control. I love control and I know that I can joke about it, but when you, when things are stripped from you and you really know you have no control, even the smallest things like I love control of my schedule. And then everyone told me I can't do what I normally do. Like people canceled and I'm not getting on an airplane and I love control of my home. And guess who's there all day long? These four kids, like they are just here all day. And so I think that's one of the things that God's been showing me is, I like to be in control. And when it's taken away from me, I kind of shrivel up and don't know what to do. And I don't want that to be said of me. And I don't want that to be true on the other side. And so it's good. I need to, I'm going to write this down today when we get off the, this interview, like what is God showing me? Are you a journaler? I think it's, oh, big time. And, And the reason why is because I like can vividly remember past things and get stuck in past thoughts And so I think a lot of times the enemy will use spiritual amnesia when things aren't going good for me and when I don't feel like I'm in the best state of life. And he'll use spiritual amnesia and I'll forget of the goodness of God. I'll forget of how he literally has never failed me and how he literally came through every single time. And so because I journal, when I get in that phase of like, oh my gosh, I don't know if I'm going to make it, start hyperventilating and I feel like anxiety is taking over, I can open my journal and look at the date of like four years ago when I barely even really knew God and saw how he kept me then, how much more is he going to keep me now? And so that's really helped me with like, just when I start feeling disoriented in thoughts um, and when I feel like I'm losing control and realizing like, okay, maybe it's in the lack of control and in the losing of control that I actually fall into surrender and God's worth surrendering to. And so it's been, it's been super cool. Journaling is like, I love it. I love it. I I do journal sometimes, um, but it's not often enough. Um, I want to talk about how you got started doing what you do, because I think it's, I I mean, I love everything that you have your hand in and I love the way that God's using you with your gifts and your talents, but how did you start this collective of creatives and how did you start saying, Hey, I want to be bold and proclaim God's word on stages to people through poetry, for speaking, through everything that you do. And you just mentioned something that I want to ask you a question about. You said, you know, something where my faith wasn't even that strong however many years ago. I don't want to assume because you grew up in a house that read the Bible every day at 5 a.m. that your faith was your own and strong for your whole life. Can you start answering that question by telling me when did your faith become your own? Oh, my faith became my own in college. I think right when there was no parents and there wasn't a, hey, we're waking up at 5 a.m. to pray and read the Bible. When that was all stripped away is when my faith had to decide how real it wanted to be. And so for me, like 
kind of how all this started is a little crazy. It doesn't even really make sense still to me. <laughs> but I went to school and studied computer science, criminal justice, and psychology. My whole goal was to work for the FBI. And there's really only... Girl, I yeah, can I see you working for the FBI. <laughs> that was my dream. Like, And there, there's really only like two routes to get there. Either you go to law school or you know like Arabic. And I was okay. like, well, yeah. I'm not going to learn Arabic. So we're going to go the law school route. And so while I was studying and while I had that goal in mind, I ended up doing like this really random thing. I went to Liberty University, so Christian University, and we had like touring ministry teams. So I was on one of the touring ministry teams as an improv actress, never done improv before, hate making jokes because I don't like them flopping. Just, it was a scary thing. I was hyperventilating every time I had to go on stage, but I was like, y'all gonna pay for my school, then your girl's in. And so (laughs) I remember serving on that team for two and a half years. In the second and a half year, they asked me randomly, they said, hey, like we need a spoken word because we don't want you guys to just do improv, but we want you guys to just be creative in general. And I remember thinking to myself, I don't do spoken word. I don't know what that is or how to do it, but y'all are paying for my school. So I guess I'm about to find out how to do it. And so I remember meeting up with some friends that I knew uh, were spoken word artists. And I was like, hey, can y'all just teach me this real quick? So they taught me the ropes and I wrote my first one. And ironically enough, when I did it, it didn't feel like the first time that I had ever done spoken word. It didn't feel like this was something that was extremely difficult for me. It felt like very natural and easy. And so I did it. And our school, we do this large gathering thing called convocation. They found out about it and they're like, hey, we'd love for you to do it at our gathering. And I thought to myself, wait, what? Like, that's like a stage people dream of being on. That's weird, but okay, I guess. So I ended up doing it. And it went really well. And they said, hey, like, we want you to actually just be on our team full time. And we want you to travel with us as our spoken word artist. I was like, guys, time out, time out. Like (laughs) doing it that one time was cool, whatever. But to be the proclaimed spoken word artist of the largest Christian university in the world, having only written one with the help of people, I'm not sure I'm your girl. And I remember in that time, I was like, hey, I can give you guys six other really awesome people that you should hire instead of me. And they're like, no. We want you. And I was like, well, this is disorienting because I don't know if you guys are Enneagram people, but I'm an Enneagram five. And if I don't feel like an expert in something, I don't want to do it. I don't want to even try to do it. And so it was really a stripping of my pride, I would say, and stripping of my ego because it made me have to depend and rely on God and not myself because I didn't have it inside of me. And so my senior year came about, I was still aiming towards law school and the FBI. At this point, I had already gotten to internship with them and it was awesome. And I was like, okay, we're so close to the finish line. I took the LSAT. I got my results back. I got into the law school of my dream. But at the same time, I was still doing a lot of like spoken word stuff randomly with churches. And I was thinking to myself like, man, I wonder if this is like what I'm supposed to be doing but it was senior year. And I was like, I don't know, man, it's too late, God. You, you're you throwing this idea out way too late in the game. There's already a game plan in motion. And I remember thinking to myself, maybe I'm not actually passionate about government and working for the FBI. Maybe that's just a safe and secure route. Mm. But that's another thing with Nigerians as well is we oftentimes go to safe and secure and what's going to provide a lot financially. And so in my mind, I was like, okay, that's a good route to go. It's very prestigious. And I remember my senior year being in a photography class, very random. It was around the time that I was kind of battling these thoughts. 
And my professor said, hey, I want you guys to pick a photographer from this list and write about them. And so I looked through the list of about 100 photographers, and I saw this one really cool name. It was a girl named Jasmine Starr. So I went to Jasmine Starr's website, and her bio was two sentences at the time. And it said, I've lived a life of safety and security, which led me to law school, locked my creativity in a box, and stifled my soul. And I remember reading that, and like my whole world fell apart. I was like, a moment where you're like, okay, God, I get it. You're talking to me specifically. And I remember reading that thinking to myself, okay, so what do I do? Like, do I not go to law school and like work for a church? Like, I I don't know what this means. And so I started thinking of like, okay, what does this mean? I'm not sure. A week after that, I ended up landing what was the dream job with the FBI. Didn't even have to go to law school. And I remember getting the offer thinking to myself, wait, 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 wait. The timing of all this is just not accurate. God, you're you messed up. Something's not right here. And I'm like, what? So I'm about to turn down a job that I've worked this hard for, this long for, and how people dream for this job. I'm going to turn it down for what? Like, you're not even giving me a game plan here. And so I was like, okay, God, I'm going to choose obedience, even though I don't know what the next step really is. And so I turned down the job. And um, I didn't tell my parents. I didn't tell anybody because I, I thought was, it was the wondering how possible. your parents were going to take no, all this. No, I didn't say anything. I was scared out of my mind that I was perhaps making the dumbest decision of my life, which sometimes obedience sounds like the dumbest decision of your life, but right. always ends up being the best decision of your life. And so I turned it down and I applied to every single church in America. Like when I talk about, when I say every church in America, I'm not even kidding. I'm talking about the churches of 20 all the way to the churches of 20,000, every single church, not one got back to me. We are two months from graduation. And suddenly the girl who always has a plan and always has an exact guide of where she's going and how she's going to get there suddenly had no plan. I felt like I was no longer in control of my life. And I was angry because I was like, God, why would you tell me to obey you? And then you're not even going to come through. You claim to be this provider, but I don't see how you're providing. Like, it felt like this dichotomy of God, this is what you say you are, but this is what I see. And a lot of times what he says he is doesn't align with what we see in the moment. And that's when faith is tested. Yeah. That's or what we like, feel. Okay, let's, yeah. What do we really believe? Yeah, exactly. And so it was crazy because we went from two months out before graduation to two weeks before graduation, still having no plan. My friends are like, Gloria, so what are you doing when you graduate? And I'm like, yo, stop talking to me. Please stop talking to me. No one needs to ask me this question. And it was crazy because it was almost like all of a sudden, God was like, now I've seen your faith. Let me play my part. Mm. And it was like out of nowhere, where within the weeks, I had the entire of 2017 and half of 2018 booked of events for me to come and do spoken word and to preach. I never preached a day in my life. And I'm like, what in the world is happening? And these are the churches that I applied to that no one ever called me back. No one ever emailed me back. And all of a sudden, this was like, it was like God had this unfolding, but the unfolding required a little bit of my faith. Mm. And so it was really cool just to kind of see how that unfolded. But then as I started touring and doing a lot of it, I felt very lonely. It felt like fun. It was like, oh, this is fun. I get to like travel and get on a plane and do all of these really awesome things. And I was like, man, I feel kind of lonely. And I had this morbid thought one day 
And the thought was, if I die tomorrow, I've done a lot of great things, but all of it will also fade away. Mm-hmm. And that's when I started to realize if everything that I've done dies the moment that I do, then I didn't live for something big enough. Mm-hmm. I didn't live for a name big enough. And so that's when my whole world fell apart yet again. You know, God does this thing of just knocking Gloria's world <laughs> apart. Um, but my whole world fell apart again. And I was like, okay, this has got to be bigger than just Gloria Umana. And I started thinking through like the creative realm of things. A lot of people like they are for each other but they're really against each other mm. and i'm realizing we keep praying for heaven to come to earth but the only way for heaven to come to earth is going to be through co-laborship it's not through competition and so i'm realizing okay well who are the people that i need to kind of get together like and we move together in one mission and so i started that and i just honestly put it on my website and we ended up getting a call when we had a team of just like three people and we didn't have a logo. And they're like, hey, we want you to come and open for this really awesome thing. And I'm like, wait, we don't have a logo, but okay, let's do it. <laughs> and so it's just been so cool to see how God has like really just used our faith. That's all we really have to offer a lot of times. It's just our faith, but it's just enough for God to use it. And so it's been it's been super cool how God has just really expanded that, expanded the vision, expanded the mission, provided for what we needed. Um, and every day just providing even more and allowing our dependence to grow on him and how the team has grown. And my life feels more purposeful being connected to a we movement than it did when it was just me. And so I love it. It's been so incredible. I love that because you said, you know, if I were to die, if everything died with me, then what was I doing? And I think that that is a morbid thought that's worth having, you know, it's, it's worth the reevaluation of what am I doing with myself? And, you know, Aaron and I like to always say that we want to do everything that we do in our life, we want to matter for the kingdom. And so whatever that is, whether that's podcasting or marriage or parenting or having people over to our house, like we want it to be kingdom minded. And I think that's That's what you're talking about as well with this collective and this creative. I've heard you say that recently with your collective, you've added a significant amount of people to it. What does that look like for you and how have you trusted God through that? Ironically enough, scary is the word. Um, I think Leading is not my natural tendency. My natural tendency is I was the sound girl at our church. So I was always in the booth, in the back, not on a stage, not with a mic. That's my comfort zone. That's where I would prefer to be. So it's scary because it requires surrender. Like it's not my natural thing to do. So it really requires me saying, okay, God, like I genuinely need you. I can't do this without you. And I was reading through this like, journal slash workbook that pairs with this book that I read five years ago while I was still in college. And I wrote something in there. It asks a question and proposes this question. It says, do you believe that God has you playing a significant role in the story that he's writing? And I had this realization. I wrote it in the journal and I said, yes, but I wish God would use me in a safe and small way instead to avoid the chaos of being an quote unquote important character in the story. Mm. And I think that again is my natural, that's my natural response. And I would even say like, that's my natural response today, but coming to the realization that that's just not going to be the narrative and accepting the calling of God has been the most freeing thing. Cause then I don't have to carry the weight anymore. Mm. I don't have to carry the pressure because now I know I have a helper called the Holy spirit. Hello. That's about to help me. And that can help me. And my sufficiency is never going to be enough. So I don't have to try in and of myself to be a good leader. 
I can just rely and depend on the spirit of God to lead through me and just to really yield to leadership in that capacity. Cause it's not like, it's not like I'm 40 years old and I've got years of leadership on my belt, but really what it's helped me is knowing that because my wisdom and my knowledge and understanding is limited it helps me look outward, not just upward to God, but also outward to mentors, outward to people who are further along the road and actually trusting them and mm. saying like, hey, like I need your help. Like, yeah. And I believe that's part of the help of God by yeah. putting other people in our lives. And so it's still scary. Uh, that doesn't make it any less scary, but it makes it more, I, I guess I would say it makes it more possible stepping into the impossible yeah. with the help of the people around. If you don't know it, guys, I'm a Texas girl through and through. I've lived here most of my life. I was born here and I love traveling. Here's why I love traveling throughout Texas, because it has a vast landscape of cultures, regions, destinations, and activities, which means there's an infinite number of different travel experiences. And no two travelers are exactly alike. And it means that no two trips should be either. If you're a beach person, well, you can have fun under the sun with Texas's 350 miles of coastline. If you're more of a rugged vacation type, there are campgrounds, hiking trails, and state parks galore. And foodies cannot get enough of Texas's world-famous barbecue and Tex-Mex. Enjoy live music, visit internationally recognized art museums, and check out thrilling cowboy experiences. And now, Travel Texas offers a one-of-a-kind online trip builder that allows users to generate a custom, visually-led trip matched to their unique interest. Guys, come visit my state. Visit TravelTexas.com slash GetYourOwn to get the only trip to Texas that matters. Yours. That's TravelTexas.com slash GetYourOwn. You guys, in January of 2024, I made a commitment to myself. I wanted to get stronger, which meant I needed to get in the gym, which means I needed to move my body in different ways. You guys know I love to walk. Well, it's spring, and spring is the best time for us to start a new workout routine. It's our yearly collective warm-up, and Peloton is here for everyone's yearly warm-up. This is the best time to get into a good rhythm, to tap into your power, and build towards your summer you. I love my Peloton. It accommodates to my schedule with a variety of class links to choose from. I can choose a 30-minute class. I can choose a 45-minute class. If you only have five minutes, there's literally a class to get you moving your body in five minutes. Peloton has a range of class types fit for every goal and every mood. There are classes if you want to hear country music, if you want to hear uh, rock, if you want to go back to the 80s. If you can't run, take a walking class. Need some grounding? Try yoga. If you want to level up, go for their Pilates or HIIT workouts. Here's what I love is that you can move at your own pace. And that is what I'm learning that my body needs right now. It needs to move at its own pace. Peloton makes the process easier with personalized recommendations and guided programs that take all the guesswork out of working out. You guys, we think about so many things during the day. Let's take the guesswork out. Let's jump right in and let's keep our fitness journey fresh every single day. Peloton has everything you need to get you where you're going. Whether you prefer to run outdoors, row or ride at home, or strength train at the gym, Peloton has something for you. I personally love a good 45-minute hip-hop class. It gets me moving. It gets me excited. It's my favorite genre of music, just ask my kids. Get a head start on summer with Peloton at OnePeloton.com. That's OnePeloton.com.
you just like made someone's day because there's someone listening who feels God tugging them at something and they would say back to God, I don't lead well. I'm not a leader. Yeah. Like I'm behind the scenes. I'm this, but they can't shake this feeling of God saying, no, I have this for you. I have this yeah. for you. And they're like, no, yeah. not for me. Got to find somebody else. <laughs> Please, someone else. Someone else, yeah. someone else. Um, but you have just encouraged them and saying that you have felt those feelings and you understand those feelings. Yes. And it's God that's equipping you. Yeah, ultimately. And I think I think a lot about um, Elisha and the, the widowed woman in scripture. I was reading through it the other day. And if you're not familiar with the story, essentially there's a widow that has a small jar of oil and Elisha, the prophet comes to her and says, Hey, what do you have? And she says in one translation that I love, she says nothing except a small jar of oil. And some translations say that Elisha told her to check again because she thought what she had wasn't enough. She thought what she had was insignificant. And I think there's a lot of us where our natural tendency is to presume that what we have is not enough, what what we have is insignificant, what we have is never going to be enough. But what I realized through that story is, you know, that woman that thought she had nothing except when she was told to check again, realize her not enough in the hands of God becomes more than enough. And she got to become a part of a miracle. And so that's what I even see with like me on the collective. There are people on our team that are like, I have dreamed to do something like this. I have prayed for something like this. And I'm like, man, I thought I didn't have enough and my not enough in the hands of God has turned into me getting to be a part of a miracle for so many individuals, for so many churches, for so many organizations and ministries. And so that's like, it's just so encouraging to me because God never asks us to have enough. If we had enough, we wouldn't need him. So it's like in his hands, we've got more than enough. And so it's just like coming to the realization that we serve a God of abundance And he's not going to ask us at the end of the day, what did you do with what you didn't have? Mm -hmm. He's going to ask, what did you do with what I gave you? Mm Because what I gave you was enough for what I called you to. And so so that's been so helpful for me. So, so helpful for me. Preacher girl. See, this is why, y'all, I told you, this is why she's one of my favorite preachers right here. Like you're just preaching to us right here on the podcast. (laughs) And I think that there's a long list of things that we'll fight until we get to see Jesus. And not everyone will fight the same things and not everyone will fight them for the longest of the time. But That is for some people, something they will have to fight and speak against until they die is I'm not enough. I I can't do this. You didn't give me the right gifts. You didn't give me the right talents. And especially in this day and age, and none of this is social media's fault because we've been feeling this way since Genesis. Since the beginning. We've always felt this way. But especially now, there's this tendency to look around and see whatever people put out. And I'm always the first thing to say, like what I put out on my Instagram is thought through. Like it is purposeful. It is, it is a lot of times scheduled. You don't, you don't see the, the fight that Aaron and I might've had, or you don't see, you know, me yelling at a kid, you know what I'm saying? And so we look at everyone's presentation of themselves and think I'm not like her. I must not be enough. Yeah. And it's just, it is Satan is using it so much to stifle women in their creativity, in their gospel telling, in their yeah. truth of who they're supposed to be. And I hate it. I hate it so very much. It's true. I, I can agree with that because I was actually thinking about one of my mentors. She told me, she said, you know, when you start feeling like you're not enough, tell yourself it's true. I'm not enough. And that's still enough to be used by God. Mm. And that right there has like completely changed everything for me because I think very abstract. So I was thinking about Genesis one the other day and there's a moment in Genesis one verse two, where it says that there, the earth was formless and full of void and darkness. And in 
the following verse, the spirit of God speaks the words, let there be, and brings form where there is formlessness and brings filling to where there is void. And shortly after he creates us with the same words, let there be. And so the spirit and the breath of God that created form in formlessness, created filling and voids, then created us. And so it's like we carry that same spirit within us. We carry the breath of God that has the ability to bring form to the formlessness of today. We carry the breath of God that has the ability to bring filling to the voids of our community and our culture today. And so when we come to the realization of, oh, this person might be really great at that, or this person's great at that, I'm not as good at that. It's like, who cares what each person's good at? You have the breath of God inside of you and the world needs the breath of God. So if God's calling you to be a mom, you better parent the heck out of those kids. If Mm -hmm. God's calling you to paint, you better paint that mural and don't look to the left or right thinking about, oh, this person's doing this, but you've got the same breath inside of you. It's the breath of God. It's not about a gift or a talent or a skill. It's about the breath within you. And if you have that breath, then like, I think that really helps eliminate the spirit of competition and comparison. It's like, we got the same breath. Like, we have the same power and authority through Christ Jesus to offer the world what they are in desperate mm, need of. Yeah. And so that's helped me so much with that's like, so good when, when my mind wants to compare, it's like, no, no, no. Like, yeah. We all have purpose, but we're all going towards the same mission. It's so true. And when we can celebrate other women and their successes, I think that is really helpful for me in kicking that comparison and that I wish I had what she had, like just saying, I'm not going to go there. Instead, I'm going to celebrate the goodness of what God has done in her. Yes. And not Absolutely. compare the goodness. That's, that's, that's not even, yeah, you celebrate. We got to celebrate each other. Yeah. We got to celebrate. I want to ask you a question real quick, because I know I've heard you talk about this before as well, is I've heard you mentioned that you're, one of the things that you're passionate about is helping the church. And uh, we mean like, mm-hmm. you know, not just a specific church, but the church understand that just one invitation of women of color or a man of color to come do something at their church is not really actively seeking diversity and not really actively seeking um, that heartbeat for their congregation. What is your encouragement to church leaders and ministry leaders about how to actively seek that other than just, we need to check the box that we had a black person come to our church this year? Yeah, I think the goal is our church and the people leading our church should reflect the heart of the father. And so the way to do that is what does my team look like? Like Mm. genuinely just look at your team. And if your team looks just like you, then perhaps we're missing an aspect of the heart of God. I think the goal isn't to appear to carry the heart of God, but to actually, actually carry it. And I think part of what that looks like is it's easy for us to, want to just look diverse, but that's very superficial and it doesn't really serve people well uh, because it's actually, it's, it doesn't really show that you genuinely care when, for example, your leadership team, everyone that's making the decisions, there's no one there that looks different Mm. than everybody else. So it's, Mm -hmm. I think what's so important is it's not just a matter of like looks, but it's a matter of the culture that these people represent and come Mm -hmm. from. So if I sit in a room with seven people that are black, or if it's seven white people in a room and we're making a decision about a church that is not all white, there are Hispanic people in my church and Asian people in my church. How can I represent these people well with every decision? It's by having those people in our leadership. It's not just inviting them every once in a while to come 
and hey, like we want you to come be on our stage and preach so that we can show our people that we are for the African-American community. That is an awesome step, but I don't think that's the end goal. I think the end goal is for our church and our leadership to reflect the kingdom of God and to reflect every nation, tribe, and tongue. That's how we make decisions that are loving to every single type of person in our church and not make that mistake of, oh, we didn't know. Like Mm. we really have no excuse to not know. Like God has gifted us with a very diverse bride. So why not invite those people into authoritative positions? And I think it's like not natural at all um, for us to, gravitate towards people that are different from us. It's natural for us to gravitate towards people that are like us, but I guess that's what it means to partner with the Holy Spirit. It's realizing that there's a greater purpose than my preference. Maybe Mm -hmm. I do prefer to be with people that are like me because it's, it's, it's a safe and secure type room, but sometimes we kind of are afraid of that, that tension, I guess that comes when people that are not like us enter into the picture but it reminds me of how to start a fire. Like, how do you ignite a fire? It requires friction. And so it's like, man, maybe that's what the flame of God is going to look like in the end. Mm. It requires a little bit of that friction and a little bit of that tension, but there's always beauty as the end result. And so I think that's what's so important. It's just having every nation, tribe, and tongue as best as you can be a reflector on your team. Yeah, I love that. I'm I'm encouraged about the conversations that are being happening. I'm encouraged about the way my soul is being stirred about this. I'm encouraged about the voices that are speaking out about this. And so I'm thankful that you are as well. Now, I just realized as I was like thinking through, okay, um, I'm so thankful for Gloria, all the things we're talking about. I realized the beginning of the show, I said, we're going to explain the stepdad dad thing. Oh yeah. And I almost let you go without letting you explain that. Yeah, Uh, absolutely. So girl, just give us a little recap real quick. Yeah. So recap, obviously I'm not good at those, but recap. Um, (laughs) so when I was in the fifth grade is when I found out that my stepdad who had came into the picture when I was about one years old was not my biological father. So obviously you don't remember when he came into the picture. Yeah, he was yeah. there from what I would call the beginning. Yeah. Because, uh, you know, one years old, just yeah. sucking on mom. Anyway, so <laughs> I remember when I found out, I, I didn't really think much of it. I guess I was just like, oh, okay, cool. And I ended up just like continuing on in life. Now, my older sisters, they lived with him and my mom for a little bit. So for them, it was always a little bit different, I guess, vibe towards my stepdad. And I was always just like, this is weird. But I don't know what's going on, but whatever. Yeah. Fifth grade me could not worry about it. And so as I got older, I guess I started just getting a little more curious, like, okay, like, I wonder what this man is like. Like, my sisters had, like, kind of a relationship with him. I talked to him on the phone maybe once. And so it was very random out of the blue. Last year, my sister was like, hey, so our dad, who lives in Nigeria, is going to be in Texas next week. Would you want to come and meet him? And I was like, I mean, I guess. Like, I guess I have nothing to lose. And so I went, I met him, and it was it was weird because it wasn't weird. It didn't okay. feel like my first time being with this person. It didn't feel like it didn't feel like anything was missing. And I think the reason why is because my stepdad was such a great filler as a father mm. that I didn't feel like, oh my gosh, I need answers. I need right. to go find out why you left. I need to go find out why you didn't stay. And so praise the Lord Almighty for the amazing man that my mother married because had it not been for him, I think I would have had this actual hole in my heart that would have caused a lot of hurt and damage. But there, I don't know, there just isn't 
there isn't that resentment towards him, like I guess most people in this predicament would have had. Uh, so we had a lot of fun. We joked around a lot. I realized I'm funny because of him. And so that was really cool. <laughs> that was really cool. But it, it was, yeah, it was not as crazy as I expected it to be. It was just very chill. So do you still have a relationship with him? Yeah, we WhatsApp every once in a while. We'll talk on the phone. Because he's in you Nigeria. Know, he other so. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's why we WhatsApp. Only reason yeah, yeah. why I have WhatsApp. <laughs> yeah, exactly. exactly. Yeah, so we talk. He'll randomly send things. I mean, we're. I, I think I came to the conclusion that I... I probably will never call him dad just because yeah. it's like, I already have someone that plays that role. Yeah. Um, and so I guess that's probably like the, uh, I don't really know like what to call you. Like, <laughs> hey, <laughs> sir. Like, yeah. 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 Um, yeah. And so, I mean, it's definitely different trying to figure out the dynamic, but I think because I don't expect much that it's, I don't know, that helps kind of relieve yeah. a lot of like yeah. the stress that I could foresee it having. You weren't going into this relationship needing him to become your dad because you already have a right. dad. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Which was such a blessing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Gloria, I am honored to know you and proud to know you and just love calling you a friend. And I have told this to you before and I already said it here. I think one of the most gifted young communicators that we have right now. And so it's so fun to watch you walk in your giftings, walk in your talents and really just do what God's asked you to do. And you're killing it. And I'm just, I'm so proud of you and excited you. for all the things God has ahead of you. I have two more questions before we go. Number one is this, yeah. we're in quarantine. We're recording over Zoom so I can see you and I need to know how your nails are done right now because uh, my nails have all fallen off. I got three eyelashes left. I have no eyelashes. Your hair looks good. Your hair looks good. Listen. My daughter's story, every day I'm like, you know, what was I thinking? I I wish I would have known this was going to happen. I would have had her hair done. Right. Okay. I'll tell you, it's a journey. It's a journey. It's a journey. So I try to keep my nails like decent because I'm always on a stage and the cameras love to just zoom into my hands. And so I, for quarantine, I got my nails done like, a week before so it's in the middle of quarantine where I was like oh man it's time to get my nails done but there is no nail shop open and at the time I had acrylic so I didn't really care because I was like I'm not going anywhere I'm not seeing nobody like yeah it's fine no cameras around and then I randomly got this project from a church and they're like hey we'd love to film a piece (laughs) film a piece with you tomorrow uh-huh. and I said I'm sorry what <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, I instantly looked at my hands and I was like wow I gotta figure out what to do and so I started hitting up mentors left and right YouTube left and right and then I was like okay so I figured it out I gotta go get acetone went to the store had to get acetone didn't realize I needed to be 18 and older and show an ID to get acetone so I was like oh my gosh okay, great gonna go back home to get the ID that I left <laughs> So I got the acetone and it took me about, it took me maybe four hours to just get <laughs> everything off, not even to paint, just get everything off. And I said, you know what, Lord, this is your way of showing me I've not been tipping enough. Next time I get my nails done, I'm tipping plus dollars minimum. Like it was absurd. I finally painted my nails. They only look good from afar. Uh, but oh, so that's you fine. painted no them yourself. Course. You painted them yourself. Yes, I painted them myself. And, you know, I just have a newfound respect for all the nail salons. I, I always know. thought to myself, I know it's it's hard, whatever, but yeah. it's not that hard. Mm-hmm. But, man, I killed dominating my left 
hand because yeah. I'm right-handed. But then uh-huh. when it was time to paint my right hand with yeah. my left, I said, oh, oh, okay. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> That's how this is going to work. Yeah. It's well, let me, t- let me tell you <laughs> on Monday, we'll record with um, Better Together, which is on TBN. And I love going out to their studios in California recording. Well, we're recording yeah. via Skype. Okay. Let me tell you, the Lord, talk about the Lord chipping <laughs> things away from you. My first thought was, how am I going to get my lashes done? <laughs> Listen. <laughs> you and I have been texting about the loss of lashes. So I sure it's enough sad. did order magnetic lashes from Amazon. And then okay. I know my friend Layla, who's been on the show before, she sells these like stick on nail things. I'm totally messing up. Okay. I ordered some of those as well. So. People can think what they want to think about us. But listen, when there's a camera on, I just, my lashes and my nails. You, you, you have to. It's just so much. You gosh. have to. Oh my yeah, gosh. I have no lashes at all right now. It's, it's, it's really sad. I just wake up and there, I send you pictures. There's just <laughs> lashes on the bed. Yeah. And I'm like, well, well, if that's how that's going to go, then awesome. Lord, thanks for stripping me of my idols. But <laughs> That's exactly right. That's exactly. Crazy. I'm like, okay, here's what I love most. Aaron asked at the t- dinner table last night, like, what are you lo- What are you finding that you're loving the most that you can't have right now? And I was like, all of mine involve very vain things. Lashes, <laughs> nails, <laughs> massages. <And> nails. <laughs> I mean, like all oh, these yes. things. <laughs> all the things that don't even matter. <laughs> I know, they don't, they don't. Very true. Gloria, okay, what are you reading and what are you loving right now? Okay, so I actually have the book literally right here because I'm always reading it. So there's this book called The Sacred Romance. Okay, yeah, you I've heard of it. You have to read it. It's called It's called The Sacred Romance, Drawing Closer to the Heart of God, and it's by Brent Curtis and John Eldridge. And it's truly one of the most beautiful books ever. And it's, it's actually the book uh, that parallels with that workbook that I talked about okay, yeah. with me wanting to play a smaller role in the story mm. of God. Uh, but that book has changed my life and it's changing my life still. I love it. It's just beautiful. If you're, if you're desiring drawing closer to the heart of God, uh, highly recommend it. Read it with some friends. I'm doing a book club for yeah. the first time. I with love friends. it. Uh, and then another thing I've been loving, this is like a very random thing, but Netflix has this new feature called Netflix party Okay, uh, where you can have some friends a whole group of friends on netflix watching the same movie in queue at the same timing and there's like a chat box on the side stop it right now it's especially great for comedies because i mean if you have funny friends then y'all are just joking the whole time watching the movie it is incredible highly recommend that's a it's a great way to just kind of like keep community during the time of quarantine so that's something i've really just been loving as well and then the last thing i've been loving is this very random book called The Making of a Manager. Um, and it's written by a girl that worked for Facebook for quite a while in, in their corporate office. And it really just gives like really practical and helpful leadership tips that aren't even necessarily just like biblical, but just leadership in general, uh, which has been super helpful. But yeah, I've, those are the three things that I think I've really been loving. And then I've really been loving Uber Eats, you know? They've really come through. They are coming through right now. That is the truth. Okay. I'm still stuck on this Netflix thing. Let me ask you a couple of questions. Oh my goodness. Yes. So you need to be on your laptop, right? So that you can type and stuff. Yes. Okay. Yes. And you just go into Netflix and I'm going to be able to find it. So you'll want to Google Netflix party. It's a Google Chrome plugin. Got it. It's super simple. You just click download and the plugin downloads. And as soon as you go to Netflix, it's there. It's, it's magical to be honest. I love it's this so great. So You'll much. have the best time. 
Okay. You have, you have really um, helped us out here. Gloria, thank you so much for joining me today. Thanks for encouraging us and what leadership can look like, even when it's scary. Thanks for encouraging us that are leaders in our church about how we need to do more and care more about the body of Christ looking like the body of Christ. And yeah, thanks for just sharing your story and for being a woman who's yeah. willing to say, Hey, here's, I'm giving it all to God. So you're the best. You're the best. Thank you for having me. This has been so fun. Best podcast I've been a part of. Uh, what? Excuse me, what was that yeah. you said? A little, say it a little louder for the people in the back. I mean it. Just, <laughs> just a little plug for the happy hour live with Jamie Ivy. This is the best podcast I have ever been a part of. You're so sweet. You're so sweet. Okay, well, have a good rest of your day. Friends, when Gloria said, I thought I didn't have enough. And what I had from what God gave me was more than enough. I could see so many of us breaking loose some of those chains that are keeping you from following God and what he has for you. I'm praying for us, you and myself, everyone that's listening to be people who step into all that God has for us and get free from the lies that we need to bring more to the table than we have in order to be used by him. Gloria and I mentioned that after this quarantine, we hope to be on the other side changed in some ways. After the quarantine is over, after we're able to go back, after life looks different, maybe a little bit back to normal like it used to be, that we hope to be changed on the other side of this in whatever way God wants to do that. Right now, we're taking the time to ask God to show us what does change look like in our own lives? What is he wanting from us? And I'd like to invite you to do the same. Grab a journal or a notepad or your phone and really ask and spend time with the Lord and say, God, what are you showing me? Write it down. I'm having to remind myself, write it down. Remember this time and mark it so that in the weeks, the months, and the years down the road that we can all look back and be reminded about how God was so faithful in these moments, even in the times that it felt so out of our control. Today's show was edited and mixed by the team at Podshaper, and the music was developed for the show by Matt Graham. Show notes are written by Aki Slockers, and the whole thing is organized by Lindsay Sweeney. Next week, we have a fun show for you. My friend and Sunday NFL Countdown host, Samantha Ponder, is on the show. You guys know, if you've listened for a hot minute, how much I love football, and I've been following Sam since her days on College Game Day. We talk about all that has happened in Sam's career in sports broadcasting, her family life with her little ones, and about how we can keep a big-picture perspective in the middle of struggling times. Friends, enjoy your week. Share the show with a girlfriend. Have a virtual happy hour with somebody this weekend, and I'll see you next week with my friend, Sam. Sam.